0: Welcome to the Different Skill Notebook Podcast. The Different Skill Notebook is a tool for parents and educators to equip children and teens with the social, emotional, and independent skills needed to thrive in their life. The Different Skill Notebook is a result of the work of Dr. Sandra Savinelli and Anan Selma at the Social Mind Center. They found that parents and educators cannot always identify the skills needed to overcome some of the barriers that the child is experiencing to learning and thriving. The notebook identifies the different skills, tools, and resources needed to overcome some of the learning barriers and differences that are experienced by children and teens today. These are different times, requiring different skills and tools. Join us as we share our smart conversations with our parents, educators, and colleagues to give children the life skills and social adaptation needed to thrive in environments that keep changing. Welcome to the Different Skill Notebook.
1: This is your host, Anna and Selma, and we are continuing on our series on anxiety. And in my last episode, we talked about when you should consider taking medication when you're anxious, and some of the different factors that go into that. So today, we're going to pick up from there. So if you didn't get to listen to the last episode, please refer to it because it goes over all these considerations before you venture down the road of medication. But today, um, we want to talk about I have Gabby on again, and I'm going to ask her a few questions because she can really share with you guys how she used medication as a tool, why she used medication, um, which was to minimize her symptoms. And that's the important thing that I want to, the statement I want to make is that medication is just a tool. It's not a solution to everything. It's a tool that you use to minimize the symptoms um, that are a barrier to your learning and to your quality of life. But it isn't at all the solution to um, managing anxiety in particular. So, Gabby, welcome again. And, you know, we got a lot of great feedback from the last episode that we did on anxiety. So, I wanted to bring you back and have you tell us a little bit about your journey with um, your continued journey with anxiety and the role that medication played in managing your anxiety. So, when did you start taking medication? that you can recall?
2: I started taking medication in the second grade. Well, first say hi to the audience
1: oh, before we get I, into the into the facts.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me again. I'm glad to hear that my last episode helped some people with their anxiety. Um, like we said last time, you know, there's not a single solution to anxiety. You know, there's different there's, you have to do different things. And so I'm very excited to be talking about medication because that was such a strong tool in the many that I used to help my anxiety.
1: Okay. So when did you start? I mean, I know you started young, but maybe you want to pick up, um, when you were older, so you can share more with the audience on what your perspective was on that, even though, um, you started taking medication at an early age. It's up to you. How much detail you want to give the audience? Okay.
2: Well, in the second grade, I was very much having um, those physical symptoms of anxiety. You know, it was not just my thoughts and I was feeling physically sick. So I decided to start taking Lexapro.
1: And- Well, I decided for you really- You decided
2: for me because I was <laughs> but I was all for it because I was feeling sick all the time. And it was, it was definitely impairing my way of life and school and even at home and going over to friends' houses. I could just not do anything because I was feeling so sick to my stomach. So the one thing that medication really did for me was shut out those anxious thoughts and kind of brought peace to my brain almost. So I was really able to find solutions to my anxiety, rather than fighting those anxious thoughts, but also trying to figure out how to stop them. And it's like a battle in my brain. So that's one thing that the medication I think its strongest effect was for me was just creating calm in my body and in my brain.
1: So then it gave you more brain room, more thinking room to allow you to explore the source of your anxiety and manage your anxiety. Right. Because it's kind of hard to think clearly when you your anxiety is so, so, so high. It, yeah.
2: it, you can't find a way to stop the anxiety while you're having anxiety. It's a very hard skill to have, especially at second
1: grade. So that's something that I mean, I. but it also can be a hard thing at any age, because, you know, if it's so high, you're really when your anxiety is super, super, super high, it's hard to have clarity of thought, it's hard to even think straight sometimes. And it can be very painful and very uncomfortable. So the last thing that you can do is think clearly, how can I stop this? How can I make this better? So it's kind of harder to learn strategies at that time that can reduce your anxiety. So when your anxiety is super, super high, and you know, this is not an episode to push medication in the least. We just kind of want to open the floor to discussion to some of the benefits of medication Um, because for like, for me at, at the social mind center, I do have a lot of clients that have a very difficult time They have such, such high anxiety that it's very hard to do talk therapy. It's very hard to do anything because they're on this heightened state of distress. And it's also not healthy in the least to operate in that mode of heightened anxiety for long periods of time. It can really affect your mental health, your physical health, your all around health. And it's definitely not something you want your child to be undergoing. So sometimes some of the strategies and some of the interventions that can be used to reduce anxiety are not effective because the person is just, their head is just on fire and their body is really, really struggling with heightened levels of inside. And if, if you've ever dealt with somebody, it's really anxious. Sometimes they can't even hear you because they're just in their head or they're just really distressed. So it's really hard to talk them down into a place where it's a teachable moment so I, I think that's why we're doing this episode, because I have so many experiences with people that have a difficult time, including myself, you know, um, you find yourself in a place where it's just not a teaching moment for you. It's a crisis moment. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Gabby? You started in second grade and then, you know, you were on medication for many years. And then what did that look like? How did it evolve when you started medication?
2: Well, the first thing I want to say is that when I was in elementary school, I don't, I would not have known that the thoughts and the feelings that I was having were anxiety until I was talking to someone. I was telling my mom and I was telling my um, therapist, you know, the first step to kind of understanding what, what your anxiety is, is acknowledging that those are anxious thoughts. You know, to me, those are just thoughts that I was having on the regular and, they were making me very anxious, but I wasn't aware that, that that's where my anxiety was stemming. So I think it's really important, whether it's your child or whether it's you, to talk to somebody about it and to share the thoughts that you're having to maybe see if that that's what's really causing your anxiety aside from the physical sickness. But my journey with Lexapro was very successful and that it really numbed that physical feeling for me. And I was able to do much more than I was before Lexapro. And then when I got off of Lexapro much later in life, I was able to manage my anxiety a lot better because these were skills that I had been practicing while on Lexapro. So when I got off Lexapro and I had anxiety at a very smaller level than when I was younger, I was able to manage it a lot better.
1: Okay. Okay. So, cause you were able to learn. So that's what we're kind of talking today, how anxiety can be a barrier to learning and to a, it can really impede a good quality of life. It can affect, you know, it can rob you of your joy and peace and ability to um, participate in many activities because it can be paralyzing for some people. So that's when it's important to consider medication. And that's what we talked about in our um, other episode. So, when you were in high school and you started playing tennis, tell us a little bit about that and how that heightened level of physical activity helped you manage your anxiety. And was it with Lexapro that you were doing tennis or you were off of Lexapro then? Um, what what did that look like? I started playing tennis in when did I start playing tennis? Ninth ninth grade.
2: No, because I was with I was with my coach way earlier than that.
1: Maybe eighth grade you started playing, but in but in high school you played in Shamanad on the team, and then you started then you started homeschooling in but tenth what about
2: grade. My, body, my coach. Yeah.
1: Was. Yeah. But you started paying in eighth grade with Bobby. Yeah.
2: Much, much earlier, much earlier.
1: You think seventh grade was it? I would say much earlier. Okay. Maybe.
2: I don't know. I remember distinctly being very young, so young that I was not even interested in tennis at first. I would just come up to my tennis lesson with my headphones on and totally ignore my coach and just hit the ball around. So Bobby, (laughs) my poor (laughs) coach. Um, But tennis was something, it was weird. Tennis caused a lot of anxiety for me, but it also (laughs) was a lot of anxiety for me. So it was something I really enjoyed because physically it's exhausting me and, and I didn't really have time to feel anxious playing tennis, but I will say that my tennis journey definitely made me realize just how my anxiety can really affect my physical performance when it comes to things that I'm even really good at. So with tennis, I think that I was a good tennis player, but I think I really struggled with the mental component when you're playing, because a lot of my anxiety in high school was just negativity, negativity, negative thoughts. So while I'm playing, you know, I'm just having all these negative thoughts that of course would bring you down. It makes you question your ability to do things. It makes you question just yourself in general. And I think that that's what happened to me so much in tennis is that I knew I could do it. And this is also why my coach got so frustrated with me because he's like, I've seen you do it. I know you can do it, but why aren't you doing it? And I was just like, because I can't, because I'm in my head. I'm totally in my head and it's prohibiting me from doing everything that I know that I can do. Right. So So you
1: kind of would self-sabotage. Yeah, And that's Colby in the background, by the way, the dog barking you guys hear Colby. (laughs) And Gabby was hoping that all her puppies would be really cooperative, but you guys all may have to hear Kobe in the background so doing, doing his opera session for us. So we'll have, to, we'll try to take him out, but you might just hear this small chap in the back giving yes. his two cents about anxiety. A
2: small dog who has a lot of separation anxiety and he's in the other room. So he's freaking yes. out and Kobe has
1: a lot of anxiety. So that's room. a great, yes. Even Kobe has a lot of anxiety. He so. cannot be away from Gabby. And Gabby's not even his parent. Gabby's his exactly. caregiver, but he can't be in another <laughs> room. It he does affect everybody. Yes. <laughs> and the barking does affect everybody. But So what tennis really helped you do was examine how your anxious thought process can sabotage your performance because mm-hmm. you can start to worry about oh like i remember watching you play and you would just like kind of give up on a match because it didn't go the way you envisioned it to go so you would sabotage it and you wouldn't win the match because you kind of decided in your mind that it was over even yeah. though the match was far I, from over
2: yeah uh, i think that i just i mean everyone has an idea of how they want their match to go but i think something that was really hard for me to do when I was really anxious was flex. And, you know, when the game isn't going your way and you're really anxious, it was really hard for me to be like, okay, the game isn't going your way. Let's try something different and like, see how that goes. It
1: was really hard for you to shift. And sometimes when, you know, for part of the time that you were playing tennis, you were still on medication, you know, and then it was like towards the end of high school, right. That you decided to try it without medication But Mm -hmm. still, you would do that whole self-sabotage in tennis. But what that helped you to do was identify how, you know, when you're up against times that you need to perform, how your thought process can really get out of control and you can really hurt yourself with it. So then, you know, you now know the signs, right, of that thinking to help yourself redirect it? Do you think you do a better job redirecting it or is it still hard and something you need to work on? I think I do a much better job
2: redirecting it now. I mean, I don't currently play tennis, so I would be very curious to see how I do in tennis now because I do think that I have much better skills when it comes to my anxiety and shifting and flexing. So I think it would be interesting and maybe I should go play tennis. So I could tell you guys how it goes, but. I think that it's really hard to catch yourself in the moment and, and acknowledge that what is happening right now is a total anxiety attack. And sometimes it isn't even an anxiety attack that you can notice. Like, I would, when the game isn't going my way and I, I can't see it for what it is, it was really hard for me to shift. And to change what I was doing, because I was very sure that what I was doing was going to work. And I just didn't want to accept that it wasn't. And it was giving me so much anxiety that and that instead of trying something new, I'd rather just stay. stay right.
1: Calm. So anxiety can make you more rigid. So for and some probably, of our kids at the, the center. The
2: word for it really is that it could really just freeze you and, and yeah. sometimes prohibit you from thinking of a solution because you're just super tense. And that's
1: it. a good point, because we talk about frozen all the time at the center. Like some kids just freeze. Like, like I know a lot of kids, they make this plan when they go into the party, they're going to go up and say hi to somebody. They're going to go do this. They're going to do that. And then they arrive at the party and they just freeze and don't do anything. And it's important. for Or
2: they do go up to the person, but the person doesn't respond the way that they expected and they don't know they weren't prepared for it. So they don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And they can freeze and they can like, I can't do this. And then, you know, sometimes it's helpful to kind of walk them through it because for a person who has the anxiety, they, you know, and sometimes they lock in and they freeze. It's very hard for them to defrost themselves. You know, like we just had that incident today in Lego. We had, um, we had a great, um, brick club session. And one of our guys who was new, he, we ended, um, the collaborative building part and we went to free building and he freaked out. He's like, I don't know how to free build. And I never know how to free build. I just know how to do building with instructions. And then, you know, he was just frozen. Like I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. So then I started to build, started to, to give him ideas and build with him. And before you know it, he built this elaborate structure, but sometimes people need that little push or that little tug to the reminder, especially if they're frozen. Um, do you believe medication helped you gain, helped you as a tool so that you could gain skills to manage your anxiety effectively? Do you think that you could have done it without medication?
2: I don't think that I could have done it without medication.
1: Okay. I
2: think it was important those couple of years that I was on medication I think it got me through a lot in school and a lot of things that I don't think I would have been able to do on my own and and I don't think that everyone wants to admit that but I think it's very true I I really you know I just couldn't function normally
1: or not really even helped you academically because you have a lot of Uh, learning differences and when you're super anxious about something you can't work through those and go okay let me try these different things to like study better or study differently or these tools you can't think through that you can just go through panic mode I'm not going to learn I'm not going to be able to learn this or I'm not going to do well like I know that math is your nemesis but last semester you conquered math And you work through a lot of those things and it's easier to work through our weaknesses when we're not having an anxiety attack and we can think through it and we can get ideas from people. Um, When did you stop medication and why did you stop medication?
2: Well, I do know that we tried a couple of times to get off medication, but it didn't work out. So we ended up going back on medication but I believe it was starting high school is when we decided to stop it. Is that correct?
1: Mm, probably not right when we started high school, but um, in the yeah, of- I can't remember. It was at some point in high school that you stopped. Started not your first year, but when you started homeschooling, you know, maybe that changed your environment a lot and you were able to, it was more manageable with you. And then it was you know you were able to do it. Um,
2: yes. And I I remember that we wanted to to try getting off medication before I go to college. I didn't want to test that going into college. I wanted to, to do it at a time where I it wouldn't have messed up, you know, my my routine in a way. So in the middle of high school, I, I do think that is when I got off the medication. And I, I did I wanted to see how I would do. I felt comfortable with it at the time. I felt like I could manage my anxiety and I, I wanted to get even better at managing it before going into college because I knew how much of a transition that college was going to be. So I wanted to prepare myself for that.
1: And how, how are things now that you're in college and that's like another transition in your life and you move to a different city? Do you feel now that you can manage your anxiety without medication? Do you have times where anxiety is really high? And does that, um, does that, you know, cue you to say, Oh, maybe I need medication again, or, or living in New York city, I've had
2: many moments where I'm like, do I need to go back on my anxiety medication again? But I really, I think I'm stubborn on really mastering, you know, any type of anxiety that's been thrown my way because I just want to be good at it. And I know that with new changes, with new environments, my anxiety, like I said, last episode looks much different and I have to learn how to manage it all over again. But I just want to get so comfortable with that, that it's really not an
1: issue for me, no matter what happens to me in my life. So that's a lot of time. You know you're not playing tennis, but you invest a lot of time into physical activity and getting outside of your home and going for mental health walks and, um, or even recently started to learn to play soccer. So can you talk about that and how you think being physical is and changing getting out of your house and going out for a walk is so important for somebody who has anxiety, like the taking the sunlight in, the fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that because I, will I think say
2: that Sun does have a lot to do with your well-being, which is something I did not. I overlooked moving from Florida to New York City. Um, being in a place that has concrete buildings everywhere, you know, there's not as much sun on you. And you can definitely tell that's why everybody here is grumpy versus in Florida, when you feel the heat on you and you're just, it, it, it physically relaxes you. There's really no way to explain it. Well, but it can make you irritable too, because we got a bunch yes, of grumpy definitely. people here in Florida too. That's calming thing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. For me, it's very calming. You know, I used to love going to the beach and just laying out in the sun, and that was my therapy. But, you know, being in New York City, I don't have a beach, so I have to figure it out. So, what I do is my walks, which I know we talked about a little bit last podcast episode. Everybody in New York City actually here calls it hot girl walks. I call it my mental health walks because I need it in the morning and I need it in the afternoon. And at night, I go in several mental health walks because just physical activity and just nature is just something that's really calming for me and I feel like that's something that's really calming for most people. Agreed. And it's just something that lately I feel like I've been waking up with so much anxiety like even physical anxiety and I'm just like anxious about starting my day getting things done how am I going to do it so before I even get to any of that panic I go on a walk you know we just this is how I'm starting my days. I'm going on a walk. I'm not going to think about everything that I have to do. And I'm not going to think yeah. about,
1: I just yeah. recently posted this article that came out. I think it was in the Atlantic and in order to get out of your head, you need to go outside. So you have to get your out space. of your space and go outside. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. yeah because when you're in your space, sometimes that's all you can think about is what you need to do. So you kind of have to, I mean, I always say change of scenery, change of mindset, but I think it's becoming really, really important. I think we also got used to being behind concrete walls with COVID. And I think that
2: that's one thing I want to point out is, you know, you're going to feel really comfortable in your apartment. I feel like I, I love my apartment and I don't ever want to leave it. I feel the most comfortable here, but when I sit and think about it, I do, I feel trapped, you know, I'm, I'm more anxious because I'm only thinking about everything that I can change around the house or what else I can do. And I just, it's, it's, it's overwhelming for me. I I call it squirrel brain because it's just like 500 thoughts coming in at once. And I just, I needed to stop. So what the best thing you can do is just get out of your space, you know, go somewhere new, new environment, change of scenery, it really makes a difference. And I think it's really hard to even realize that you're uncomfortable in your own space because you think that you're comfortable in your space. But that's one thing that I've really realized in New York is, although I feel really comfortable in my apartment and I'd rather be here than outside, it is causing me more anxiety and stress because I feel trapped. So it's really important that you disregard maybe what your conscious is telling you about feeling comfortable and you just do and try something yeah, new.
1: Yeah, just go for a walk. Yeah, exactly even if it's just 10 minutes or something, it doesn't need to be an hour walk. It could just be around the block, but I think it'll make a difference. Um, I was having this conversation with one of the moms at the center and she, her blood pressure was through the roof because of the stress. It can be very stressful to raise a special needs child, especially if their needs are very complicated. And she realizes she stopped working out and that again, she was, you know, her house, their entire house is being remodeled and she was really not doing anything physical to get herself out of her own head space. And, you know, her blood p- pressure was dangerously through the roof. And she just went to figure it out when she. Decided to go for a checkup. She had she was completely unaware of it. So it's just really important to take a few minutes and walk outside and take in the sunlight and just get out of your space to be able to change your thought process. And that's a good habit to teach our kids. So, um, Gabby, do you have any lasting thoughts about uh, takeaways for somebody who thinks um, their anxiety is high but isn't sure what would you suggest to them? Their first step would be
2: talk to somebody i always feel like that was my first thing to do whether that was a friend or whether that was you um and that really significantly helped me but one of the biggest takeaways that i want to say is especially for the older crowd is to not have expectations and that's something that i've really had to learn to accept high
1: expectations because yeah. we all have expectations
2: but well, sometimes yes, but unrealistic expectations. I feel that sometimes expectations can really make you feel trapped and and they can and and like that example that you gave earlier you know you're expecting a reaction from somebody at a party and if that's not what you get then you shut down and you freeze. So if you go into that situation without an expectation then you're ready for whatever's thrown at you. So I just think that's a really important thing especially when it comes to anxiety is to not overthink and not to expect and just just live in the moment and just see how it goes because you know when you expect something and when you're you're planning something out that hasn't even happened it's going to create a lot more stress a lot more anxiety and then the reaction
1: is going to be worse if that's not what ends up happening right like kobe in the background yeah he's he's telling you this is really bad yeah well, thank you, Gabby. I'm so glad you came on. And I think we talked about doing one more episode, but you can do as many episodes as you want. It's always fun interviewing you. But um, we want to talk about Rowan and how your service dog has helped you with your anxiety, how she went with you to New York, and what was that like for, for somebody that might want to consider that. They might want the information about a service dog. So I think it's really important that we talk about Rowan and maybe we can get her on the show, like on the podcast, like we got Kobe. Um, And she let everybody know about her um, separation anxiety. And,
2: peacefully laying next to me she's such a good dog
1: yeah (laughs) and kobe's like you're a bad person for putting me (laughs) outside the room and thinking that i wasn't gonna bark and now i've barked all over your podcast and see what happens with that so we may not be able to edit it out so that is kobe everyone and that's separation anxiety we're at its finest Um, (laughs) yes But thank you so much for coming on the Different Skill Notebook. Um, We appreciate your insight and we hope that it's helpful to teenagers, especially people transitioning to college and helping them understand that it's something that a lot of people deal with and there are solutions out there. There are things that can help you with it. Medication is not the only one, but we'll talk more about that. And we'll talk about Rowan just in case anyone wants to get a service dog or a pet to help them you know, cope with anxiety, pets can can really do that. And a lot of the research supports that. So I look forward to our next episode. And if you want additional information, you can check out our website, www.socialmindcenter.com. And you can even request a consult if you have any questions on anxiety, or how to help your child with their anxiety, or if you're a teen, and you want assistance or information on how to deal with anxiety, we'd be more than happy to help you.
2: Yes. And, and, and if anyone wants to talk to me or anything comfortably, reach out to me. I'm totally okay with talking to anyone and sharing anything that they need. Um, I love talking to people. So please. And how care. would they reach you, Gabby? How would they reach you? Um, Instagram, I guess would be the most, this generation way to reach me. My yeah. and- It's Gabby and Selma. That's just my name. So if you just look that up and if you want to reach out to me with any questions, please do not be afraid. I'm someone that's super vulnerable and open about things and maybe a frightening
1: way. So don't be scared to DM me about anything. Okay. Well, yeah. And you might want to have questions on how they can get help or what, what would they do next? Like, this is where I'm at and what can I do next? And you can definitely send that out as a consult question and my website and our consultations are free. So, and you can schedule one or you can email, you can email through our website and find out whatever information it is you need to find out. So thank
0: you so much. Thank you for joining us at the Different Skill Notebook. The script is available on the Podbean site and at socialmindcenter.com. We can also be reached through our website.